promise me you won't freak out. How can I promise you I don't know what's going to happen? Well, I guess you'll just have to trust me. Why would I trust you? Because if you don't, you're going to die in this closet. Die? So promise. I promise. Promise, promise? Oh, my life. Then say it again. I promise. Oh, wow. Even when you see the horn? Horn? What do you mean? Like a trumpet? Just promise. I promise, promise, promise. I will not freak. Oh. This is the part where you run. Something, 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 we win. <laughs> Metal. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 240, Nimona. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, welcome to Verbal Diorama. Whether you are a brand new listener to this podcast, whether you are a regular returning listener, whether you are a shapeshifter, thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. I am, as always, delighted to have you here for the history and legacy of Nimona the fourth episode of animation season 2024. And this was one of those movies that as soon as I saw Nimona and I knew the story behind Nimona, I was like, this has got to be on Verbal Diorama. There is no way I am doing animation season 2024 without Nimona. But before we jump into that, as always, I just want to say thank you so much for all of the love and support that you give this podcast. Just generally, if you're a listener, but also those people who've listened to the most recent episodes of this podcast, especially 
because we're in animation season. It is the most wonderful time of the year on Verbal Diorama is animation season. And it is the time between January and February of each year where I look into amazing animated movies. Talk a little bit about the mantras of this podcast, especially when it comes to the field of animation. When we say things like animation is not just for children and also animation is not a genre. It is a medium by which art is expressed. And one of the most wonderful things about animation is that animation can do anything. It can portray anything. There are no limits to what can be seen in animation. But this animation season started with Wally. It moved into How to Train Your Dragon and Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which moves nicely then into another movie, helped to be brought to life by the power of Netflix. Nimona, a groundbreaking LGBTQ plus animation, started life at Blue Sky Studios before being bought out by Disney, cancelled and then resurrected. But Disney's loss is everyone else's gain because not only did Nimona get finished, get released and became critically adored, it's just bagged itself an Oscar nomination. How to stick it to the corporate man. It's such a Nimona move. Here's the trailer for Nimona. Queen Killer is still out there. Everyone is scared. He's a murderer. He's a monster. He's perfect. Hey, boss. No. Who are you? The name's Nimona. Your sidekick has arrived. I don't need a sidekick. Every villain needs a sidekick. I'm not a villain. The real villain is still out there, and I do need help. And then. Who do you want to kill first? What? Look, I can help you, but promise me you won't freak out. Why would I trust you? Promise! I promise! Even when you see the horn? Horn! Promise! I promise, promise, I will not freak! Oh. This is the part where you run. They call me hell! They call me Stacy! You're a shapeshifter! They call me hell! They call me Jane! That's not my name! You did that on purpose. You catch on quick, boss! Something, 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 we win. I'm Mr. Cat, if they call me the ball. Anyone can find them. It's me. They call me help. They call me Stacey. Ambrosius really thinks I'm a murderer. That's not my name. You got betrayed by someone you trusted. Because once everyone sees you as a villain, that's not my name. That's what you are. Do you think you saw us? Yes. <laughs> The world kicks you around sometimes. But together, we can kick it back. Mona, smart, kind, and sophisticated. That guy just beat his armor. He beat his armor. Oh, I like where this is going. Let's break stuff. I'm your official sidekick forever and ever. No take backsies. Can you just be you? I don't follow. When Ballister Boldheart, a knight in a futuristic medieval world, is framed for a crime he didn't commit, the only one who can help him prove his innocence is Nimona a mischievous teen with a taste for mayhem, who also happens to be the shape-shifting creature Ballister has been trained to destroy. 
But with the entire kingdom out to get him, Nimona's the best, or technically the only sidekick Ballister can hope for. And as the lines between heroes, villains and monsters start to blur, the two of them set out to wreak serious havoc. For Ballister to clear his name once and for all, and for Nimona to just wreak serious havoc. Let's run through the cast. We have Chloe Grace Moretz as Nimona, Riz Ahmed as Ballister Boldheart, Eugene Lee Yang as Ambrosius Goldloin, Francis Conroy as the director, Lorraine Toussaint as Queen Valerin, Beck Bennett as Sir Toddius Todd Shawblade, RuPaul Charles as Nate Knight, and India Moore as Alamzapam Davis. Nimona has a screenplay by Robert L. Baird and Lloyd Taylor, story by Robert L. Baird, Lloyd Taylor, Pamela Ribbon, Mark Haynes, Nick Bruno, Troy Quayne, and Keith Boonin. It was directed by Nick Bruno and Troy Quayne and based on Nimona by N.D. Stevenson. So the last episode I mentioned Pinocchio being a miracle, something that was made mostly due to the absolute tenacity of Guillermo del Toro and his vision for his vision. But what if your co-director, writer and producer isn't one of the most well-known directors of the modern day? What if your animation studio is purchased in a huge acquisition by one of the biggest media companies in the world and then shut down while you're in the middle of production? What sort of miracles do you perform then? Double Diorama has never before covered a movie made by Blue Sky and that's not really intentional. Because plenty of Blue Sky stuff is on the big list, the list of movies that I want to cover that only ever gets bigger. Ice Age is obviously the biggest, but also on there is Horton Hears a Who, Rio, Epic, and the Peanuts movie. But also, they've technically been shunted a couple of times for other things because there's a lot of great animation out there. And unfortunately for Blue Sky, it hasn't made the cut yet. Because that's not to say that I won't visit any of those Blue Sky productions in future. Chances are I probably will. So let's go into a brief history about Blue Sky. It was founded in 1987 and began animation production using CGI Studio. A programming language started at Maggie, the visual effects studio behind Tron, which was shut down. Bear in mind too that CG animation in Tron, while rudimentary by today's standards, was groundbreaking in 1981. And their proprietary software, Synthavision, was used to animate most of Tron's action sequences and the light cycles. After this, Disney, this is not their first feature in this episode, commissioned Maggie to create a test film based on where the wild things are, using CG animation for the backgrounds and traditional 2D animation for the characters. Synthavision was actually created to replicate the laws of physics to measure nuclear radiation rays for US government contracts. After Synthavision and Maggie were eventually sold after declining success, six employees from Maggie formed Blue Sky Studios in 1987 to continue software design and animation services for things like TV commercials, visual effects. And in 1997, 20th Century Fox's visual effects company, VIFX, acquired a majority interest in Blue Sky, forming a new visual effects and animation company called Blue Sky VIFX. This new company did character animation for Alien Resurrection, Mouse Hunt, Star Trek Insurrection, and Fight Club, among others. In the background, they'd been working on a short animated film called Bunny, which was animated using CGI Studio, taking eight years to make in total. Bunny used CGI Studio to render fur, glass, and metal from multiple light sources, was released in 1998, and received the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film. 
It was the success of Bunny which led to Blue Sky Studios being given the opportunity to make feature-length animated films. While VIFX was sold by Fox to Rhythm and Hughes Studios, they kept ownership of Blue Sky, and despite financial difficulties, a feature film called Ice Age was presented as an opportunity for a CGI film by Blue Sky, distributed by Fox. The production behind Ice Age is a story for another episode, but needless to say, Ice Age would become a huge success, receiving an Academy Award nomination for Best Animated Feature, and becoming the eighth highest grossing film of 2002. Further success followed with four Ice Age sequels, plus movies like Rio, Epic, and most recently Spies in Disguise, also directed by Troy Quayne and Nick Bruno. Spies in Disguise would be the final film from Blue Sky Studios and the final animated film to use the 20th Century Fox name. But at the time, no one knew either of these things. The acquisition of 21st Century Fox, the parent company of 20th Century Fox, FX, National Geographic, etc., was announced in December 2017 and completed by March 2019, costing Disney $71.3 billion. And it also gave them the rights to the film and TV catalogue and with that, the studios that Fox also owned. In 2020, Disney would rebrand 20th Century Fox to 20th Century Studios and Fox Searchlight Pictures to Searchlight Pictures. As a wholly owned subsidiary, Blue Sky continued as before under their new Disney owners continuing to work on the projects they were working on, which included Spies in Disguise and also Nimona. But let's go back to the conception of Nimona and the work of M.D. Stevenson. Stevenson had created Nimona in high school in South Carolina as part of a class assignment. The character, a shapeshifter with pink hair, partially shaved off with a fuller figure who enjoyed rule-breaking and rebelling, was unlike anything else. Stevenson envisaged Nimona as a punk Joan of Arc character in a futuristic medieval society. In mid-2012, Stevenson published a webcomic called Nimona on Tumblr, which gathered a small, tight-knit group of fans, and he signed with a literary agent who helped him get Nimona published as a graphic novel. Nimona would also become his senior year thesis. Nimona being a shapeshifter was the culmination of the fantasy of being a completely free being, to live how she wanted to live, and constantly staying one step ahead at all times. It mirrors Stevenson's experience as transmasculine and by gender with the trans experience, although at the time of Nimona's publication, he was presenting as a woman. It wasn't until 2020 that he came out as non-binary and in 2021 as transmasculine and by gender. Stevenson is open about the shape-shifting concept being an allegory for transness and acting as code for his own journey with gender. The year that Nimona was published, 2015, was a big year for Stevenson, as not only was Nimona published as a graphic novel, the film rights were acquired the same year by 20th Century Fox, after Stevenson found producers and enticed Oscar-winning director Patrick Osborne to direct. And Nimona, a project for Blue Sky Studios, was already causing waves in the industry. It was an opportunity to tell a story that had never before been told in animation, certainly not by a major studio. But it didn't mean Nimona was an easy sell. It was a dark tale, including suicidal imagery, and the subtext of a gay relationship between Ballistan and Brosius was going to become actual text. And this was something that Stevenson actively fought for. And if you're not sure if you've seen any of N.D. Stevenson's work before, he was also the creator and executive producer on DreamWorks' rebooted She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, which is also on Netflix that ran for five seasons. And not only is it absolutely terrific and well worth your time if you've not seen it, 
It also included a diverse cast of characters, including prolific LGBTQ themes that ran throughout. 20th Century Fox had scheduled Nimona for release originally in February 2020, but after Disney's acquisition, the film was initially delayed to March 2021 and then again to January 2022. Patrick Osborne would depart from the film in March 2020 and was replaced by Nick Bruno and Troy Quayne, who would work on the film remotely during the pandemic, and they were given 16 months to overhaul the film. But they knew what they had was special. Everyone did. The reels were impressing everyone. The love for Nimona was infectious. The love that everyone, except Disney, had for the movie. Now, the official line from Disney is that they closed Blue Sky in February 2021 for financial reasons, the running three animation studios, Walt Disney Animation, Pixar and Blue Sky, was too much and they needed to cut costs due to the pandemic, as well as losses from theme parks and cruise lines. 450 Blue Sky employees' jobs were on the line, but Disney assured them positions would be available at other studios. This was despite Blue Sky being based on the east coast of the US and the others on the west coast. The official line was financial. Nimona had roughly 10 months left on production and was roughly 70% through layout. They had completed five fully animated sequences along with character models, story reels and locations at that point, but Disney's decision meant Nimona was cancelled. 10 months into the 16-month window. The movie had been on track to complete by October 2021. The unofficial line, confirmed by former Blue Sky staff members, was that Disney executives had pushed back on Nimona's LGBTQ themes and the same-sex kiss between Ballista and Ambrosius. The Blue Sky team had refused to change what they were doing, that Nimona was a revolutionary character and that the movie itself was unlike anything that had ever been achieved in animation before. Despite fears of losing their jobs or having their film get dropped by Disney, the team, led by Bruno and Quain, said that they were unwilling to consent to the studio's requests. Safe to say, everyone working on Nimona was pretty devastated by its cancellation, but with little hope in sight, Nimona became yet another unfinished project, relegated to the halls of cancelled movies. With the loss of Blue Sky, the official Nimona team dwindled from around 300 artists and production staff to a core creative team of 10 people. Armed with a set of story reels, some character models, and a clear sense of Nimona herself and what she stood for, they actively started shopping the project around to see if any other studio would be willing to pick up Nimona. And this is where the saviour of Nimona comes into play. Because as it happened, Megan Ellison, the founder of Annapurna Pictures, heard about Nimona on the grapevine during production and saw some of the available footage that had been shown before Blue Sky had closed its doors for good. Ellison saw something incredible. She saw a story she knew that her young self would have wanted to see and vowed to bring Nimona back to life through Annapurna Pictures in conjunction with new studio partner Deneg Animation and a distribution deal with Netflix. It wasn't the first time Annapurna had worked with animation. They'd previously been involved with Sausage Party and Missing Link, but this would be the first film released by Annapurna's new Annapurna Animation division. This was the miracle that many people thought would never happen. In April, 2022, Annapurna Pictures announced they'd picked up Nimona. In November 2022, Nimona had a confirmed 2023 release on Netflix. They had Nick Bruno and Troy Quain at the helm directing, Dean Neg animating, and they had the casting announcements of Chloe Grace Moretz, Riz Ahmed, and Eugene Lee Yang. 
Casting Nimona should have been tough, but they always felt like it was more important to cast the right person than go with the big name actor of the time. And so when Chloe Grace Moretz auditioned and just immediately understood the assignment and connected to the character, they knew they had their Nimona. She understood that Nimona had this exterior of mayhem and villainy, but that actually underneath, she has an incredible amount of vulnerability and pain and just wants to be loved for who she is. Riz Ahmed drew on his experiences of imposter syndrome to play Ballister and the dichotomy of Ballister's journey to be accepted by a privileged society, mirroring Nimona's. While Moretz and Ahmed didn't record together, he got to hear her recording sessions and could work with the personality she was bringing across. Several changes were made to the character, including the change of name from Ballister Blackheart from the original graphic novel to Ballister Boldheart. This was because they didn't want the character to be an out-and-out villain. They wanted the character to be someone who the audience could empathise with and understand his situation. The team at Deneg, who'd worked previously on Ron's Gone Wrong, had a film that was 70% complete, but they still had very little time to get up and running with archived assets, character rigs and environments, and a handful of previously animated scenes. So the team were taken back to basics to look at the 2D animation work of the nine old men of Disney Animation, to study movement and emotion, the work of Chuck Jones and Finding the Perfect Pose, and the works of Avind Earl for Fluidity and Charlie Harper with Geometrics. We are going to be coming back to the work of Earl later this animation season, just FYI. They intentionally moved away from photorealism, foregoing shading techniques like ambient occlusion and steering clear of realistic reflections or refractions, wanting to make everything stylized to maintain that kind of whimsical and magical quality to the world, interpreting Stevenson's graphic novel into a 3D image. Stillness and the ability to convey emotion, story or motivation with stillness became a theme of the movie. There was no need to overanimate characters. The meaningless gestures were exactly that, meaningless. Pipelines were rebuilt, different technologies were used, character models were evolved, and changes were implemented to DNEG's workflows and tools, principally the way it handled rendered layers in compositing. It was the idea of marrying the nostalgia of a 2D look with the technology of CG in a medieval futuristic society with flying cars and nights with phones. But the society of this world was still stuck in the past, with a narrow-minded view of how to look forward. It was a fun opportunity to mirror those thematic elements in how they were executing the look of the film. One of the most fascinating visual techniques on display in Nimona is the film's use of atmospheric perspective, where backgrounds fade away and become less detailed to create the illusion of depth, which points to a key message in the film. The further you push people away, the more generic they become. People close to you see the details of you. And while this was all technically happening during a pandemic, remote work was kind of necessary. Dino had studios in London, Montreal, Toronto and Mumbai, and working in person was limited until post-production. But some of the people working on Nimona, like editor Erin Crackle, worked on Nimona for six and a half years in total. Animation finally wrapped in October 2022, and what resulted in the end was a film that presents as its filmmakers set out to create it. Free from studio and mega-corporate interference, as an unapologetically queer story celebrating those that some in society try to shut out and shut up. But not here, not now, not Nimona. In honour of the Blue Sky employees, there are a few little Easter eggs in Nimona to them and a full list of Blue Sky employees in the credits, paying homage to the original home of Nimona, 
without which we would never have this movie. Speaking of original homes, let's segue into the obligatory Keanu reference of this episode. Verbal Diorama is the original home of the obligatory Keanu reference. All other obligatory Keanu references are unofficial obligatory Keanu references. And this is a part of the podcast where I try and think the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves for no reason other than it's kind of fun. And also, he is the best of men. And all men should at least try to be a little bit more Keanu in their lives. I tried to link Keanu to Nimona. Gosh, this was a tough one to do. <laughs> uh, really, really tough. I really struggled. And it ended up going back to a Harper's Bazaar fashion shoot from 2011, recreating memorable scenes from Martin Scorsese movies. Stick with me, it's relevant, I promise. And specifically, a recreation of a scene from Taxi Driver. Again, stick with me, it's relevant. Because... Recreating this scene from Taxi Driver in this Harper's Bazaar fashion shoot were Keanu Reeves and Chloe Grace Moretz. Interestingly, Moretz was a similar age to how old Jodie Foster was when she starred in Taxi Driver. Jodie Foster was 13 in Taxi Driver. Crazy to think that Jodie Foster was doing those sorts of roles at age 13. But Chloe Grace Moretz was only 15 during this shoot with Keanu. The photos are available on the internet if you want to have a look. Keanu obviously looks very dapper and it is literally the only thing I could think of to link him to Nimona via Chloe Grace Moretz. Now, Nimona is the movie with some incredibly important messages, but it's also an incredibly fun, hilariously funny movie that loves its needle drops and it has a variety of them, including songs like Careless Whisper by Wham! Breaking the Law by Judas Priest and Tra La La by The Banana Splits. And not all the songs they wanted ended up in the finished movie. Originally, instead of Judas Priest, they wanted Bon Jovi's Dead or Alive. But it was too expensive because it's Bon Jovi. And then it turned out that Judas Priest was actually a much better fit for the scene anyway. The score was composed by Christoph Beck, who was initially part of scoring Nimona while it was under development at Blue Sky, having previously also worked on the Peanuts movie. Beck would say that scoring Nimona in its entirety was the longest time he'd ever been on a project. But he was reconfirmed as the composer in May 2021. Most of the music's selections featured female vocals like the Dolly Rots, Sahara Hot Nights and Dope St. Jude intentionally, and female vocalists were used in the background score. American singer and rapper Kay Flay perfor performed the original song T-Rex on the soundtrack. Nimona premiered at the Annecy International Animation Film Festival on the 14th of June 2023. It received early screenings at select cinemas on the 23rd and 24th of June and was released on Netflix on the 30th of June 2023. And obviously we don't have really much in the way of official figures from Netflix. However, we do know that Nimona doubled its viewed hours from 5.5 million to 11.5 million from its first to its second week of release on Netflix. It also more than doubled its views from 3.2 million to 6.7 million. And its first week only tallied the Friday to Sunday period, similar to how box office weekends are reported. And I did check on Box Office Mojo, but it doesn't actually have any financial information for Nimona's brief theatrical run. Other than we know, it definitely did have one, but it was incredibly brief and incredibly small, so it's probably not even worth mentioning. But it's safe to say that Nimona became a critical darling because on Rotten Tomatoes, 
It has a critic score of 94%, praising the animation, character of Nimona, the performance of Chloe Grace Moretz, and its LGBTQ themes. It was compared to Shrek as a satirical subversion of the fairy tale formula by Ben Travis of Empire. And in the ultimate Nimona metal move, sticking two fingers up at the institute that is Disney, Nimona has been nominated for multiple awards, including nine Annie Awards, including for Best Animated Feature, and also a nomination for the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature, alongside Disney's Elemental, Hayao Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and Robot Dreams. It's kind of ironic that the film that Disney didn't want is up for an Oscar against a Disney film. And sequels-wise, while Nimona's ending makes way for a potential sequel, as of the recording of this podcast, there are no official plans to make Nimona 2. Whether Andy Stevenson wants to write more stories for Nimona or whether he's just happy with what he's already achieved is up to him to decide. Netflix animation doesn't actually tend to go with sequels very often. The only one we know of so far is a sequel to The Sea Beast. But sometimes a great singular story is exactly that. Nimona doesn't need to be a franchise. Nimona doesn't need a sequel. Nimona can just be a one and done. And a great one and done at that. In many ways, Nimona is more than a character. Nimona is the story of the making of this movie. Nimona is the scrappy underdog who refuses to back down from a fight. Nimona refuses to let corporate entities subdue her and control her. Nimona might fall down, but Nimona will get back up again and Nimona will prove all her doubters wrong. Nimona is just Nimona. She's not what you want her to be. She's whoever and whatever she wants to be. Nimona is more powerful than you ever thought she would be. And most importantly, Nimona speaks for everyone who feels a little bit different, who knows that human beings are complex creatures, that it's okay to look different, act different and be different. Nimona stays true to being Nimona at all times. Nimona recognises a person for who they are and what they wish to become. Seeing someone for who they are as opposed to merely assuming who they are and accepting them for what you believe they should be. Nimona does everything to defy expectations. Nimona wanted to be a production that practised what it preached and so the fact it has a diverse cast, a diverse crew, leans into the ideas of broad appeal as well as speaking to the communities it represents. Imagine, for a moment, if Disney had gone through and kept Nimona alive and on the current path released as it is with this creative team. Imagine how much of a risk that would have been for a huge company like Disney. But imagine, just imagine how it would have paid off. It would have been a huge hit, critically well received and the sort of movie that people would say could easily revive the House of Mouse from recent lacklustre attempts. Elemental is fine and beautiful and I enjoyed it very much. But at Disney's Nimona, imagine how incredible that could have been. And when I say Disney's Nimona, I don't mean a Nimona that's censored by way of removing its content or changing the characters. Disney's Nimona could have been groundbreaking, harkening back to Disney's The Little Mermaid in terms of what it could mean for the studio. Disney's Nimona could have heralded the new age of Disney animation, one of acceptance, one of representation, and one of taking a firm stance as a wholly inclusive animation studio. One that's not afraid to say the word gay, and one that embraces the LGBTQ community. 
they could have had their biggest critical hit since Zootopia. But we didn't get Disney's Nimona. We got Annapurna Animation's Nimona. And it is glorious and fun with a strong emotional message. A character wanting to end their life and their suffering is a hard sell, but Nimona sells it. It's a shame we had to lose Blue Sky Studios, but what a fitting send-off for Blue Sky Studios, their creatives and their passion for this project. May the Phoenix continue to rise from the ashes. N.D. Stevenson has given us some amazing things. She-Ra and the Princesses of Power is honestly one of the best animated shows on Netflix, and with Nimona gives us something truly exceptional that sticks with you. In many ways, it makes you glad that Disney cancelled Nimona because they could never give us this Nimona. A nuanced and skillful story, a character burgeoning with chaotic energy, talking about murdering people nonchalantly, but also a character hiding deep emotional pain for centuries. It highlights the assumptions we can make about others and the power one single word, in this case monster, can have on us. We can become the thing people think we are unless we have that love and support in our lives. Last episode, I mentioned that Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is suitable for children. However, it raises questions that some parents might not want to discuss in detail. Questions about fascism, child soldiers and war. Nimona is also suitable for children. And children may walk away from it with questions because it tackles heavy, important topics after all. But no one should feel like they can't take away from this movie and explain to children the importance of love and acceptance. That everyone in all societies deserves equal opportunity and an equal chance at proving themselves worthy. That being different isn't a weakness, it's a strength. It's a great opportunity to talk to kids about identity, having gender dysmorphia, being trans, the idea of a person needing to feel comfortable in their own skin. Nimona likes it to itchy inside, and if she didn't shapeshift, she wouldn't be living. We're all messy individuals, and we all have anger and hopelessness within us. We all have the negative thoughts. We just can't deal with them the way Nimona does. But boy, do we all wish we could. The bravery of just existing and not being ashamed or feeling like you have to hide parts of yourself. At a time when LGBTQ people, rights and spaces continue to come under attack from bigoted politicians and policymakers, Nimona stands out as being in the right place at the right time, being true to herself, which is what anyone could want for another person. I want to leave you with a quote from Andy Stevenson himself. Nimona is so much bigger and so much more unknowable than even the version of the character that we first come to know and love. If she existed in our reality, she would be walking among us looking for truth and looking for love, as she could be anyone. So maybe that means you have to just give that love to everybody you meet, because maybe it's her. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Nimona. And as always, thank you for your continued support of this podcast. If you do want to help this podcast grow, you can get involved. Tell your friends and family about this episode if you are a huge fan of Nimona. You can find me on social media. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky and Letterboxd. Or you can leave a rating or review wherever you found this episode. If you liked this episode on Nimona specifically, I want to recommend a couple of other animated episodes that you might also enjoy. Episode 32, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, because why would I not recommend Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? It is incredible. That is episode 32 of this podcast. And episode 104 of this podcast, which is The Mitchells versus The Machines, which is another animated movie that Netflix basically saved 
I have a lot of problems with Netflix as a corporation just generally, but I do find that with their animated output, I'm constantly impressed by Netflix animation and the risks that they are willing to take and what they are willing to put out there. And The Mitchells versus The Machines is a terrific movie. It's beautiful to look at. And just like this movie, it is well worth your time. So please watch it if you haven't. And then listen to the episode too. As always, give me feedback. Let me know what you think of my recommendations. Next episode, it's 1985 and a brand new Disney animated feature is being released. So let's grab the kids and sit them in front of something that doesn't feel like the Disney animated classics of old. Mostly because it was given a PG rating and also because it contained genuinely creepy imagery. At the time, The Black Cauldron was the most expensive animated movie Disney had ever made. It went through an intense editing process, some of which by Jeffrey Katzenberg himself, no less. And it's become one of Disney's movies that Disney tries to pretend doesn't really exist. But why is that? Let's go into the history and legacy of The Black Cauldron next week. And I look forward to you joining me for that episode. And if you have enjoyed this episode and you do want to support the show, you are just by listening to this podcast. But if you want to support the show financially and you want to help this podcast pay for things like subscriptions and hosting and all of that stuff that's not particularly cheap, then you can in one of two ways. You could go to verbaldiorama.com slash tips and give a one-off tip. Or you could go to verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon and you can join the amazing patrons of this podcast. They are... Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Kat, Andy, Mike, Luke, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Lisa, Sam, Jack, Dave, Stuart, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete, Heather, Danny, Ali, Stu, Brett, Philip, Michelle, and Zenos. Those patrons are metal. I can't really do any Mona metal, but metal. If you want to get in touch with me, you can. You can email verbaldiorama at gmail.com. Or you can go to verbaldiorama.com and fill out the little contact form. And you can also find my stuff at filmstories.co.uk as well. And finally. I don't know what's scarier. The fact that everyone in this kingdom wants to run a sword through my heart. Sometimes I just want a little.
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I see you, Nimona. And you're not alone. 